The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 138. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. This show is brought to you by my sponsor, Audible.com. If you're like me, you like to read, but you're having trouble finding the time to squeeze in all those great books, well, Audible.com is a perfect solution. Audiobooks are great. I never thought I would like them, but I love them now. It's a great way to get caught up. I listen to and get caught up on the book as I'm driving to work, if I'm exercising, any free time, working out in the yard, I can get caught up in all my reading. You can go to uh, my website, doseofleadership.com slash audible, and you can uh, download a free audiobook. Any audiobook they have, over 100,000 titles to choose from, you can download it for free, listen to it. You can sign up for 30 days with no obligation. If you don't like it after 30 days, you can cancel your subscription. But again, it's no risk to you. Go check out doseofleadership.com slash audible and make your smartphone smarter. I'm so pleased to have on my show today John Acuff. He's the New York Times bestselling author of four books, including his most recent, Start, Punch Fear in the Face, Escape Average, and Do Work That Matters. For 15 years, he's helped some of the biggest brands in the world tell their story, including the Home Depot, Bose, Staples, and the Dave Ramsey team. Most recently, he's spoken to hundreds of thousands of people at conferences, colleges, companies, and churches. A media feature, John has been seen on CNN, Fox News, Good Day LA, and several other key outlets. In addition, he's become a social media expert with a blog read by 4 million people and more than 200,000 Twitter followers. In 2010, he used his influence with his tribe to build two kindergartens in Vietnam. And John lives with his wife, Jenny, and two daughters in Franklin, Tennessee. John, welcome to the Dose of Leadership podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, we touched some of the high points in your bio there, but tell us a little bit more about John and, and how you became passionate about kind of self-help and leadership. Well, I think that a big part of it for me was going through the experience of kind of changing my life. You know, I had a very traditional job and through a series of opportunities, had a chance to kind of figure out what I wanted to do with it and do something different outside the norm. And so it's like anything, once you've done it yourself, Hopefully, there's a natural consequence of that is wanting to help other people do it. Right. And so that was my that was my experience. I by no means was sitting at home and thought, "What's something I can do?" But really, just I had an experience and I wanted to share that experience with other people so that they too, in their own way, have a similar experience. So where were you? Where was you, where were you at? And when a job that you were you just weren't very happy with, what were you doing? Well, I, was, I was writing a writing. I guess I'd call it a like technical. Um, writing, you know, data for um, a like a car classified site, and it, the company was great. It was full of kind people. I had a great relationship with my boss, but I just I felt like creatively I wanted to do more, and, and social media offered me that opportunity. So, when did it start for you? What was kind of the, uh, the kind of the splat moment for you that that made it all change? 
Well, there wasn't there wasn't really a eureka moment. It was kind of you know I launched the blog and the blog started to do well, and so I kind of leaned into that, and you know that was six years ago. So it's really been a process of staying consistent and focusing on the things that I'm supposed to do and kind of going from there. Yeah. And then how did when did you get associated with the the Dave Ramsey team? How did you get associated with them? Well, yeah. So I had the opportunity to um, come speak to their team, and it was uh, it was a lot of fun. And um, really enjoyed it. And I did that three different times. And on the third time, Dave and I sat down and kind of talked about maybe, you know, me working for him. So it was, again, like a lot of things in my life, it was a process. And they, you know, are very deliberate. Their hiring process is very deliberate. And so it was certainly not quick. But over, over a few years, we figured out that maybe we could do some fun stuff. Right on. So, can you name a person who's who's had a tremendous impact on you as a leader and and as your as you've developed and grown throughout the years? Who's been a, who's been your biggest influence? Well, I'd probably say my dad. Um, he, you know, always took risks and and kind of led out on the edge of things. And so, I'd say that if I if I had to pick one person who's most consistently, I mean, I've I've benefited from a lot of different kind, smart leaders that have been generous with knowledge. But you know. On, overall, it'd be my dad. What did he? Can talk a little bit more about him. What did he? How was he? How how impactful was he? And what did he do? Um, well, I mean, uh, I think a big part of it was that he uh, he started, for instance, he started a church in New England, a Southern Baptist church in Massachusetts in the eighties, which was unheard of. And so, I definitely got to see somebody living their life outside of the average. Um, and that was, you know, I, I wouldn't have said it then as a fourth grader, but looking back on it now, seeing somebody put into place the idea of, let's try something different, I think really kind of um, imprinted me with that idea. So was he an entrepreneur, or was he more, I mean, how would you classify him? I'd say any church planner is an entrepreneur yeah, on some level. Right. Um, because you're going to start something new. Being an entrepreneur is often about starting something new that hasn't been done or trying or risking. And so, yeah, I would definitely say he was an entrepreneur. Was he a business owner? No, not at all. He was a, he was a pastor. Those are different things. But I would definitely say he was an entrepreneur. As people in, on the church community, and you watch that, I mean, I, I have a lot of people tell me sometimes that they struggle with um, or, or leadership within church organizations seems to be a challenge. What do you think about that? Is it a challenge? Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I think anytime leadership's easy if it doesn't involve you interacting with humans. <laughs> right. Um, it, it's difficult when it involves you acting with, you know, with humans. And I think that, you know, it is a challenge with the church. Um, and sometimes I think we make the mistake of confusing wanting quality people to do quality work that that's not gracious. You know, like your church, if you're really trying to serve your community, you should be awesome at that. I used to be the best at that. It shouldn't be a place where you go, well, it's just in Jesus' name, and so we won't try to hold you know, success metrics or, or standards. No, I think you should be great at it. So, yeah, I can see a big challenge. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges for leaders facing today, both in, inside the church and in businesses in general? What do you think some of the biggest challenges are? Uh, staying current. Um, you know, for instance, I read a stat that 45% of millennials care more about workspace flexibility than they do about salary. If you're a traditional company and you're not letting people work from home or you're really rigid on that, it's gonna be, the, the future is going to be difficult for you. Yeah. So I think change is part of the challenge. 
Yeah, it seems like the brick and mortar style of business is certainly going by the wayside for sure. I mean, the, and the, there's certainly the expectation that you know our fathers or grandfathers' business uh, and getting the golden watch after 50 years—that's just not realistic anymore, is it? No, not. I mean, that just doesn't exist. It's yeah. not even that it's not realistic. It's just it's just not going to exist. Right. And so, you know, I consider yourself a, a, a highly creative guy and anybody that follows your blog you can see how you know funny and uh, your sense of humor is just is brilliant and you, you're always creating how do we keep that creativity alive how do you how do you foster it in organizations it just seems so stale and mediocre everywhere I look especially in the business world how do you keep it fresh and alive uh, well I think you you know a big part of it is you figure out how to make it a value that's valued um, I think people make the mistake you know it's kind of that whole uh you know, it's kind of just this whole sense of it, it, what doesn't get uh, measured doesn't get finished or doesn't, you know, doesn't get completed. And so I would say a lot of us don't put a, we don't put a value on creativity. I read this book, um, Orbiting the Giant Hairball, and the guy said something really wise. He said, most business leaders, when they look at creative people, don't understand them. And so it's like looking at a cow. Like you, you know, a cow is in a field for 24 hours and you look at it and like a business leader looks at it and it's just slowly chewing grass and they go, oh, what a waste. It's not being productive. It's only productive when it's getting milk and it can't produce milk though, unless it has that slow chewing grass stage. Right. So I think a lot of times if, if business leaders not understanding how creativity works, that there is a, you know, a slow grinding away stage. So I think a big part of it is putting a value on it and, you know, not just results, but kind of creativity. How do you measure creativity? How do you reward people that do it well? You know, see, a lot of times I see people, they they're, they're, they seem hungry for doing something significant. You know, you talked about and mentioned the millennials, and we've talked about that a lot in the show. And um, the thing that encourages me that I see a lot of folks, especially of that generation, they, they want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And that gets me excited because that, to me, will be a rebirth of entrepreneurship, uh, a rebirth of of doing things that that are significant, but at the same time, it seems like we're bathed in mediocrity everywhere we look. It just seems ah, oh, it just seems so blasé. So how do we break out of that mediocre cycle? How do we get to the as you talk about in in your book, start you know get to that awesomeness stage, if you will? What what can we do? Well, I mean, I think there's a number of steps you can take. I think that you kind of have to think through. You know, um, I, I think. An easy way to do it is to go, where am I now and where do I want to be? And how, how big is the gap? You know, is the gap gigantic? You know, as you, as you look at it, is it, is it overwhelming where you want to be? Um, and I think even as an organization, if you sat down and said, okay, where do we want to be? Um, you know, and are we there? And then be, and if you're not there, honestly have the organization go, hey, just so we're clear, how we're currently behaving will not get us there. Like, are we okay with that? You know, because sometimes I think we just get so heads down that we act like, you know, things are going to, you know, really, really work out well when they're not going to. Um, you know, we, we act like, you know, say, like, say with marriage, it's in every part of it, um, where you go, yeah, we have a very average marriage, and the only thing we have in common is that we have kids. And you live like that for 20 years and your kids go to college and get a divorce because you don't have your bridge anymore. And you go, well, how did you get there? Well, you got there because you weren't honest. So I think a big, simple exercise is 
where is an organization do we want to go and where are we right now? And what are the things we're going to do that are going to make us kind of jump those two different, you know, locations? And if you're not doing anything there, being honest enough and brave enough to go, hey, just so we're clear, nothing we're doing is going to get us here. <laughs> right. Are we okay with that? And you shouldn't be. Right. Well, the thing that, you know, obviously holds everybody back, and we talk about this a lot of the show, is obviously fear, you know, and, and I'm coming from a place where you got to get comfortable with it, and if you're feeling that kind of um, butterflies in the stomach, that that's a good thing, and if you can work through it with your conviction, something great is going to happen. You talk about fear a lot. How do we punch through it? How do you, how do you get to the other side, in your opinion? Well, I think part of it is you give yourself permission to feel it. I think the lie of fear is that you should be ashamed that you feel it. Yeah, exactly. No, like you should, there are plenty of situations where that's the appropriate emotion. Right. Like writing a book, never written a book, and you feel fear. Great. Like you should feel fear. Um, you know, a new opportunity that is beyond your ability. Fear is okay. So I think the first thing I say to you is give yourself permission to feel it. <clears throat> the second thing I say is once you feel it, ask if it's a realistic fear or if it's grossly kind of distorted. And a lot of times they are. You know, a lot of times they're just not realistic. Um, and, I, and I think it's important that you have other people who will speak in that fear too. Or that the spouse, a good friend, a coworker, other people can see our fears usually for what they are, not how we look at them. Mm, great point. Yeah, giving yourself permission is absolutely the, the case. And I think that instead of uh, for me, a mindset shift of instead of trying to control that fear, trying to get rid of that uncertainty, just you know, give yourself the permission to understand that that fear and uncertainty never ever goes away. And then I like the second part uh -huh. that you said, yeah, it never goes That's away. That's not the goal. That's right. That is not the goal. And I think so often we try to, you know, substitute planning or do things to try to eliminate fear and uncertainty, and that that's just the wrong way to look at it, right? No, there's yeah. I mean, people ask me all the time. They're like. When did you stop being afraid? And I always think, like, well, I'll let you know if that happens. Right. Because um, it, it hasn't happened, you know? Well, and it never will. And I think sometimes people confuse courage as being fearless, and that's not the case at all. It's, it's actually being scared to death but working through it anyway and, and deciding to do, making the choice. And understanding that courage is a choice, then once people understand that, then they can be or they can they can act within the fear. You know, like it says. Exactly. It, and and you can navigate it. That's right. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a big part. But you're right. I think part of the first step is realizing it's not about fear elimination. It's about, kind of, or even fear management. It's really more about identifying it and dealing with it. Yeah, exactly. And I use those examples of, you know, looking at like Soli Solenberger landing on the Hudson. You know, everybody thinks, oh, he was just, you know, nerves of steel. He was petrified. But he worked through it, you know, sure. and, and that's normal. He been. That's right. That's absolutely right. I mean, he was in a plane that was crashing. I hope he was afraid. That's right. What do you think? What is some of the best advice? You know, you're you're more t connected with, um, like I said, you're you're such a big influence on social media. What is some of the biggest best advice that you could give to? Some of those folks that are stuck in the middle, they're maybe in an organization that doesn't appreciate leadership. They're kind of in the middle, and they don't feel like they're, they can make an impact. How do you think they can make an impact? What would you? What advice would you give to that person that's kind of stuck in the middle? Well, I'd say be patient. Um, you know, I'd, I'd say be patient and own the things that you can own. I think we, you know, we don't we don't set ourselves up for success when we blame others or blame situations or blame companies. So I'd say be patient. It takes time. You know, 
I'm in my 16th year of writing professionally. For 16 years, my full-time job has been to write in one form or another. So I think it's unfair when people come online and go, oh, well, John built up his platform and I should be able to do it instantly. It's taken me 16 years. Like, it's okay if it's going to take you a while. And the second thing is owning the things you can own and trying to figure out what you can and work within that. Um, because I think we have a lot more we can do if we are honest. Um, so I think those are two things you do. And, you know, if you were stuck in a company that you didn't like, I would say, well, what are you doing about that? And if you said nothing, then I'd go, well, then enjoy being stuck. Right. Like, stop complaining about it. If you said, oh, here's the five things I'm working on, great, that's a different conversation. So I think those are two things I'd say right up front. Yeah, I love that. Your wife's a writer too, is she not? I noticed that she's got a new book coming out called How to Be Married to a Dreamer. Do you want to give her a plug on in the, kind of the genesis of that book? Yeah, so she'll, that'll probably come out in June, July time frame. Um, it's basically just probably one of the biggest questions we've been asked in the last five years is how do you dream together? Because it's not, it's not a given, it's not easy, and when you can do it right, it's really powerful. In the context of marriage, one plus one doesn't equal two, it equals a billion. So how do you, if you're married to a spouse who's an entrepreneur or a dreamer, how do you work together? And so this book is kind of her perspective on that. How do you go from being kind of invisible in the dream to not only being visible, but allow to, you know, enable to really give real feedback? A lot of dreamers just want their spouse, whether that's a husband or a wife, to just tell them, you're great, you're awesome, you're the best, and that doesn't really help you. Um, you know, you need to have a spouse who has the freedom to be real. And so that's kind of what the book's about, is how do you how do you have an awesome marriage and an awesome dream? Man, that's a great topic. I can imagine. I mean, it certainly is, you know, I know it's been a challenge sometimes on, on my marriage trying to explain um, kind of the side hustle and the entrepreneurial kind of dream. And it's not that they're not supportive or she's not supportive. She is. It's like it's hard to communicate and hard to understand because we come from two different places. So that that's I'll be interested to, to see that. And uh, what would you say to that? What would you say to someone who's who's someone who's a big dreamer and someone who's who wants a little more mm, security? I guess. I mean, what would your What would your take on that be? What do you mean? What do you mean? Well, it's, in a relationship. Yeah. Well, I say um, let's just say that you got a yeah you got a spouse a marriage that's going on and one person's you know highly entrepreneurial and the other person's not. Um, oh sure. How, how does you know real quick? I know it goes a lot deeper than that, but what you know, what would you say to that? How do you succeed in that type of environment? Well, I think I think you try to understand what they care about. You know, what's the currency for them? Um, is it about security? Is it about finances? Is it about you know? Have you like sometimes you've lost the right to, to dream the same way because of other mistakes you've made? So maybe it's going to take longer because you know what you you know. You, you didn't give them much room to grow with you because of how you were an idiot last time. Right. Um, you know, so I think that I think that's part of the challenge is, um, you know, go, knowing your unique situation and then also realizing it's okay if they don't understand it. Like your spouse, you know, your spouse shouldn't 100% understand your dream or be their dream. So giving them the grace that, okay, you know what, they're not going to understand it. They shouldn't be able to understand it. It's my dream. You know, so right. kind of balancing those two those two things. Oh, I like that. Well, I'll look forward to this book. You know, as we wrap up here, I'm curious. I know you got a, um, a hard interview coming up uh, shortly, but as we wrap up, what um, what are you doing? What is John Acuff doing to ensure that you're kind of growing and, and continuing to develop as a leader? Well, I mean, I, I do a lot of I 
help a lot of different younger folks. Um, I think as a leader, you should always be somebody behind you in 10 years ahead. Um, and so I do a lot of coffees, a lot of lunches, a lot of, you know, consulting. And so I, I just know how much I don't know. <laughs> All right. um, and there are, you know, there are friends of mine that are doing crazy things on Facebook or crazy things with Tumblr. And it's one thing for me to read a book about it. I think books are great, but it's a different thing for me to go out and have coffee with the person. So I think one of the ways I try to stay current, if you will, is to stay connected to folks. Um, now, I don't get to say yes to everybody, but I do get to do some fun mastermind kind of stuff. Um, so that, I, I would say that's one of the biggest things for me is I believe social media is awesome. It's clearly been very good to me. Um, but I also believe that there's still great value in 3D and, and real geography. Right. Well, well said. Well, John, how can people get in touch with you? How can they find you and connect with you? Yeah, um, I guess the easiest way is Twitter, probably, which is just J-O-N-H-B-U-F-F, um, or my website, acuff.me. Um, those are the two two biggest ways, and love to connect with people, um, always challenged. I mean, you've, you've seen this. You learn so much just from the relationships you get to have online. Absolutely. Um, and, I, and I would say, you know, another way for me to stay current is to, you know, plug in with guys like you. Um, whether that's doing the interview or, or listening to another interview you did with somebody else. It's, you know, there's so much great content available if you'll just be open to it. Yeah, and, you know, and one of yours, yours is uh, so much fun. I mean, there's been a couple times, you know, sitting with my daughters or whatever. I remember we were waiting for a movie and just reading some of your posts. I mean, you're you're very funny and entertaining. Um, you certainly light up the social media spectrum instead of just, you know, posting a picture of where you're eating. Uh, you do put some meaningful, funny stuff out there. And I love what you do, and I appreciate what you do. You know, one of my favorite, I just really, you put a post, and I, I'm paraphrasing, but it was a long time ago, but you talked about, um, I think it was ice from the Sonic ice machine, or, you know, um, I don't know if you remember that or not, but you're talking about how heavenly the Sonic ice was. Do you know what I'm talking about? Does that bring it in a bell? Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I don't remember the exact tweet, but yeah, we, uh, you know, we, my wife and I always talk about that. It's like the best part of Sonic. And, you know, you can actually buy bags of that at Sonic. I know. So, like, you can go, go to Sonic and buy a whole bag. That's, that's, I mean, that's when you know your ice is doing well. When that's people, right. <laughs> you know, are just coming to your store for a sack of ice. Um, so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Sonic. They, you know, they're, what is it, like two to five drinks are half off? Yep, half price. Call that the Christian, the Christian happy hour. That's which right. Makes me laugh. Right. Um, so, I, I think that's fun. But, yeah, I, I mean, you're right. I try to balance it. I think that just like giving a speech, if you if you use the same tone constantly, people get numb to it. And they don't hear it. Yeah. So my approach to Twitter is one is ridiculous. You know, one is so like if I just say I open up my Twitter feed right now, um, the last let me see, I, the last thing I tweeted was it's fun to see a guy like Gerald Green find his rhythm in the NBA after seven seasons and seven teams. He's killing it this year. <laughs> that was just. I remember when this guy came out of high school, straight from high school, and he was known as kind of, he's a great dunker, but he bounced around seven teams, and now he's really doing well for stuns. And so there wasn't anything funny there. And then right. the one before that was, how can you just leave me standing alone in a world that's so cold? What I told my mom as a kid when she'd leave me alone at the grocery cart. And that was a Prince lyric, you know? Right. Um, I, I just did, uh, you know, I did another one of my pastor, Pete Walker, had a lamb born on his farm this week. He said the hardest part was not instantly turning it into a sermon illustration. That was, you know, clearly... Now, clearly, he didn't tell me that. Right. And nobody would, in their right mind, believe, like, oh, I guess John had that conversation. But 
Pete did have, you know, did do that, and that was funny. Um, another one, my dad last night said, have you heard that Hillsong song, Oceans? And I said, and, and I honestly did say, like, are you serious? Like, what am I, the last person on the planet that hasn't heard that song? <laughs> and so I may I turn that into a tweet. But, but I try to make it a balance of there's links to good stuff, there's hopefully some funny stuff. I mean, that's kind of how, how I approach Twitter. And it's fun. Yeah, well, you do a good job at it, and it's, and it's entertaining, and, it, and it's helping. Uh, you, know, and, you know, those little things help out in, in a tremendous way, so I appreciate what you do. And, and, and John, well, thanks. I appreciate that. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Anything I can ever do to help you and uh, promote your stuff, you always got a welcome home here at Dose of Leadership, and uh, I know you're busy. And, uh, again, thanks, well, for, awesome. thanks for taking the time to come on the show, John. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, stick on the line just one second. We'll do some logistics here, and then. Uh, but uh, thanks for coming on. Sure, man. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.